Greetings, this is podcast number 67 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Well, it's not a bad day in the U.S. of A., is it? I'm breathing a little easier now. At least one chamber of Congress definitely out of right-wing control, and the other one maybe as well. If the Senate is confirmed to be majority Democratic, then I'll give that I was wrong, Hosanna, that hallelujah shout I promised a couple of podcasts ago. Even with just the House out of right-wing control, no truly horrific legislation is likely to come out of Congress, as it would have had the right kept its majority in both chambers. We'll have to see what the Democrats do about Iraq. The progressive fight has just begun. And be as certain of this as you are that the sun will rise tomorrow. The right wing can still do plenty of damage even without being in charge of Congress. Today we're going to talk about one such already planned effort by the right to reverse the post-Enron corporate fraud reforms without having to get any new legislation passed. Let's get right into it. Long-time listeners may have been wondering, where's Rush? Hasn't it been a long time since I've played one of my favorite clips? It has been a while. So here it is. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Rush Limbaugh, head cheerleader for the right, proclaims Roosevelt is dead. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. The policies Rush has sentenced to death are... For one thing, the entire social safety net. Right-wingers like Limbaugh would like to junk the entire thing and let private charity, if it can, help those whom the government will no longer assist. Of course, the reason the government programs arose in the first place was because private charity was unable to help all those who needed assistance. Such would still be the case, but right-wingers don't care. Most of the times we've spoken of Roosevelt's policies that the right wing wants to bury, it has been the social safety net. There are, however, others of Roosevelt's policies that are in the right wing gun sites as well. After the 1929 stock market crash and the ensuing years of the Great Depression, Congress wanted to establish a strong federal oversight mechanism to prevent the kind of fraud and abuses in the stock market, financial world, and corporate governance that had caused all that pain and suffering. So, another legacy of Roosevelt's New Deal is the Securities Act of 1933 and the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, the latter setting up the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC website gives its mission as ensuring that, quote, companies publicly offering securities for investment dollars must tell the public the truth about their businesses, the securities they are selling, and the risks involved in investing. People who sell and trade securities, brokers, dealers, and exchanges must treat investors fairly and honestly, putting investors' interests first, close quote. Many of you listening are familiar with the many recent corporate and accounting scandals, with Enron, Tyco, and WorldCom among the most notorious. In response to those events, 
even the right-wing controlled Congress felt compelled to act and they passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act is one of the pieces of legislation that the SEC enforces with those same purposes. Truthful disclosure by corporations and honest dealing by brokers and others who sell and trade securities. So far, so good. More protection is better. It prevents the average person from being ripped off financially. Now, steady listeners of Blast the Right know that, in addition to the Rush Limbaugh clip about destroying Roosevelt's policies, another favorite riff of mine involves the figure 70%. The top 10% of Americans own 70% of the wealth, according to the government's own statistics. How much more do they want? 75%? How about all of it? The richest can live like feudal lords, and the rest of the population can eke out a minimal existence as serfs, dependent on the lord's goodwill to survive. The right wing, which advocates and rules in the interests of the richest Americans, is not happy with Sarbanes-Oxley. They don't want more protection for the general public. More protection means the public will keep more of its wealth instead of losing it to the already too rich in Enron-type schemes. How can right-wingers continue to increase the share of the nation's wealth owned by the richest among us if the public has all these Sarbanes-Oxley protections? Such a concern has led the right-wing to openly plot not only to reverse Sarbanes-Oxley Enron reforms, but even to go beyond that and fashion plans to jettison decades-old rights in the financial arena that the public has enjoyed. This subject isn't as sexy as some others I've covered, but given the huge financial stakes involved, it's critically important, so give a listen. My sources for this segment are articles and a column in the New York Times, wikipedia.com, and the website of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Let me read you the New York Times summary of the situation, and then we'll get into a bit more detail. The New York Times reports, quote, Frustrated with laws and regulations that have made companies and accounting firms more open to lawsuits from investors in the government, corporate America, with the encouragement of the Bush administration, is preparing to fight back. Now that corruption cases like Enron and WorldCom are falling out of the news, two influential industry groups with close ties to administration officials are hoping to swing the regulatory pendulum in the opposite direction. The groups are drafting proposals to provide broad new protections to corporations and accounting firms from criminal cases brought by federal and state prosecutors, as well as a stronger shield against civil lawsuits from investors. Although the details are still being worked out, the group's proposals aim to limit the liability of accounting firms for the work they do on behalf of clients, to force prosecutors to target individual wrongdoers rather than entire companies, and to scale back shareholder lawsuits. The groups hope to reduce what they see as some burdens imposed by the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, landmark post-Enron legislation adopted in 2002. The law, which placed significant new auditing and governance requirements on companies, gave broad discretion for interpretation to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The groups are also interested in rolling back rules and policies that have been on the books for decades. Close quote. I don't know if you have this reaction, but I am frankly amazed at the continued brazenness of the right. In past podcasts, we discussed how the right-wing neocons 
openly called for the invasion and occupation of Iraq long before 9-11. Last week, the subject was how the Bushians had openly considered, and then apparently adopted, a so-called Salvador option, a death squad option for Iraq. And of course, we've all been too aware of how the Bushians have openly advocated and succeeded in repealing much of habeas corpus and legalizing torture. Here, in the securities and financial world, they are equally brazen, in effect, openly advocating that corporate fraud be made harder to detect and more often go unpunished. Even New York Times columnist Ben Stein, whom you may also know as an actor and game show host, not exactly an advocate of progressive viewpoints, was moved to write that these are, quote, proposals to lighten up on corporate misconduct, close quote. Let's go over some of the details. First, who are these right-wingers? Who are these right-wing crook enablers in Brooks Brother attire? There are actually, believe it or not, two groups of them which say they are studying these issues and formulating proposals. In other words, preparing to economically screw the rest of the American population. The United States Chamber of Commerce formed one committee. Until recently, it was headed by Robert K. Steele. Why is he no longer there, heading this committee? Surprise, surprise, he was appointed as Undersecretary for Domestic Finance in the Treasury Department, and his office is in charge of, quote, formulating the Treasury's views on the issues being studied by the two groups, close quote. Talk about appointing the wolf to guard the henhouse. A co-chairman of this group is Bill Clinton's Commerce Secretary, Bill Daley. Remember, Clinton is from the Democratic Leadership Council, DLC, pro-corporate wing of the Democratic Party. Indeed, the New York Times notes that efforts at weakening the Sarbanes-Oxley and other rules, quote, do not break cleanly along party lines. While some prominent Democrats would surely attack the pro-business efforts, there are others who in the past have been sympathetic, close quote. The second committee has maybe even a more impressive bunch of heavy hitters on it. It is known as the Paulson Committee, because George W.'s Treasury Secretary, Henry M. Paulson Jr., issued, quote, kind and encouraging, close quote, words when it was formed. Three men set up this committee. A Harvard Law Professor, Hal S. Scott, a former chairman of Bush's Council of Economic Advisers, R. Glenn Hubbard, and a former president of Goldman Sachs, John L. Thornton. Guess whom Thornton worked with at Goldman Sachs? Current Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson. So you can see that this committee is just chock full of the type of people who have the interests of the average American at heart. I'll tell you a few others. Quote, Donald Evans, a former Commerce Secretary who remains a close friend of President Bush. Samuel A. D. Piazza, Jr., Chief Executive at PricewaterhouseCoopers, the accounting giant. Robert R. Glauber, former chairman and chief executive of the National Association of Securities Dealers, the private group that oversees the securities industry, and the chief executives of DuPont, Office Depot, and the CIT Group. Close quote. Ben Stein, he better watch it or he'll be drummed out of the right-wing community. Ben Stein wrote of this group that they are, quote, the real government of the United States. Close quote. Okay, so what are these groups specifically trying to do?
First we have section 404. Quote, the main Sarbanes-Oxley provision that both committees are focusing on is a part that is commonly called section 404, which requires audits of companies' internal financial controls. Close quote. The committees will want to, quote, limit the liability of auditing firms and make it harder for prosecutors to bring cases against individuals and companies, close quote. In other words, if an accounting firm conducts an audit and fails to uncover fraud, eh, let's make it harder to punish them for it. Second, not content to gut Sarbanes-Oxley, the right wing wants to undo decades of SEC policy. Right now, private citizens have the right to file shareholder suits alleging fraud against corporations. This is under Rule 10b-5 of that 1934 Securities and Exchange Act. The two illustrious right-wing committees want to end this terrible example of the little guy having some rights. Under their proposals, only the SEC itself could bring such actions. Ben Stein accurately writes about this evisceration of Rule 10b-5, and I'll quote him a lot in this podcast, since his take on this issue was so spot on. Quote, This would be a bad joke. The SEC, for example, has taken almost no action on spring-loading, a particularly nasty form of insider trading, and something like backdating, as reported passionately in this newspaper by Floyd Norris. If the SEC cannot see spring-loading as worthy of censure, why even have the SEC? Close quote. Columbia University law professor Harvey J. Goldschmidt, himself a former SEC commissioner, said, to quote the New York Times paraphrase of his position, quote, such a move would extinguish a fundamental check on corporate malfeasance, close quote. In Professor Goldschmidt's own words, quote, it would be a shocking turning back to say only the commission can bring fraud cases. Private enforcement is a necessary supplement to the work that the SEC does. It is also a safety valve against the potential capture of the agency by industry. Close quote. The potential capture of the agency by the industry? Seems like it's controlled lock, stock, and barrel by them already, doesn't it? An SEC controlled by right-wingers to have sole authority to enforce the security laws. A corporate evildoer's fantasy come true. Third, Another area the committees are studying is whether state attorneys general like New York's Elliot Spitzer should be limited in their efforts to prosecute corporate fraud. Ben Stein writes that Spitzer is, quote, the only man in the country with the guts to take on even the most ornery Wall Street potentates, close quote. Spitzer is exactly the type of individual the right wing needs to shut down. A final area of concern for these committees, these right-wing corporate fraud enablers, is that the penalties are too severe for officers of a corporation who commit fraud. Are the poor babies being treated too harshly? Let's consider one such recent sentencing. We've all read or heard about the fraud and conspiracy at Enron that killed the company that led to its bankruptcy. Jeffrey K. Skilling was chief executive at Enron and approved accounting schemes that, quote, masked huge debt and cash flow problems at the company that led to its ultimate demise, close quote. He was sentenced to 24 years and four months, and he will lose virtually all of his $60 million fortune. It will go to restitution and legal fees. Okay, he juggled the books, but is that so bad? 
24 years? Yes. We have to look at something right-wingers don't like to do, the effects on flesh-and-blood humans of the actions in question. Quote, Shareholders at Enron, once the seventh largest company in the country, lost billions of dollars in stock and retirement savings. Six Enron shareholders and former employees spoke in support of Mr. Skilling's getting the maximum sentence for his crimes. Quote, Mr. Skilling has cheated me and my daughter of our retirement dreams, close quote, said Dawn Powers Martin, who worked 22 years at Enron. Now, she said, he should be denied, quote, the chance to walk the earth as a free man, close quote. The judge in the case, responding to right-wing criticism of his sentence as unduly harsh, correctly explained, quote, as the many victims have testified, his crimes have imposed on hundreds if not thousands a life sentence of poverty, close quote. A life sentence of poverty? So what? Bush's policies have thrown six million more Americans into poverty so far. How many years in prison has he been sentenced to? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the kind of propaganda the right is employing to support its Enron reform-busting agenda. Okay, how can right-wingers justify loosening up the controls designed to prevent, and if that fails, appropriately punish, corporate fraud that harms Americans? With their usual right-wing economic doublespeak. It's useful to learn how to recognize and respond to right-wing economic blather. Bush Treasury Secretary Paulson didn't waste any time. In his first speech, he said the Sarbanes-Oxley legislation had helped create, quote, an atmosphere that has made it more burdensome for companies to operate. Often the pendulum swings too far, and we need to go through a period of readjustment, close quote. Notice the vague but powerful buzzwords. Burdensome, pendulum too far, needs readjustment. Sounds so reasonable, doesn't it? The right-wingers will also talk about another seemingly neutral, who could argue with it, concept. Cost-effectiveness. Sarbanes-Oxley is excessively costly. A former Justice Department official on the Paulson Committee said, quote, The objectives are clearly not to gut such reforms as Sarbanes-Oxley and for cost-effective regulation. Close quote. Clearly not to gut such reforms? Clear to whom? And of course, we must ask, these reforms are costly to whom, precisely? Beneficial to whom, precisely? You mean, Mr. or Ms. Right-Winger, somewhat less profit for the ultra-wealthy and somewhat more protection for the average Joe. That's what you're really against, aren't you, Mr. or Ms. Right-Winger? Another right-wing mantra will invoke the specter of, quote, overzealous state prosecutions by such figures as the New York State Attorney General Elliot Spitzer and abusive class action lawsuits by investors, close quote. Overzealous, abusive, more buzzwords. The facts are otherwise, quote. 
This is an escalation of the culture war against regulation, said James D. Cox, a securities and corporate law professor at Duke Law School. He said many of the proposals, if adopted, quote, would be a dark day for investors. Professor Cox, who has studied 600 class action lawsuits over the last decade, said it was difficult to find abusive or malicious cases, particularly in light of new laws and court decisions that had made it more difficult to file such suits. The number of securities class action lawsuits has dropped substantially in each of the last two years, he noted, arguing that the impact of the proposals from the business groups would be that, quote, very few people would be prosecuted, close quote. In other words, the right wing is taking steps to protect its own. Another right wing argument, and this one's a doozy, is that, quote, Section 404, the provision that requires audits of corporations, along with greater threat of investor lawsuits and government prosecutions, had discouraged foreign companies from issuing new stock on exchanges in the United States in recent months. Close quote. Supposedly, according to the right, stock offerings abroad have increased because companies prefer the rules there to ours. Harvard Law School professor Scott of the Paulson Committee claims that foreign companies, quote, don't want to use our markets because of what they see as the substantial and, in their view, excessive liability, close quote. This all means that the, quote, competitiveness of American markets, close quote, is suffering. All the committees want to do, they say, is to, quote, improve the attractiveness of American capital-raising markets, close quote. How could anyone be against improving the attractiveness of American capital-raising markets? The facts are, other non-right-wing experts say, the trend towards foreign stock offerings has different causes and little to do with our liability and accounting rules. And even if our liability and accounting rules are the cause, so what? Are the right-wingers saying, let's allow more fraud to get that foreign business? I think so. The right is saying, let's let the little people, to use Leona Helmsley's phrase, let's let the little people suffer more from fraud as long as we can make increased megabucks from more listings here, as opposed to on foreign stock markets. This is the typical right wing, let's race to the bottom argument. Like with worker protections or environmental protections, if foreign companies have less strict rules, we should loosen up ours and match their bottom-of-the-barrel approach rather than insist that they improve their standards. So there you have a bunch of typical right-wing arguments for further enabling the transfer of wealth from everyone else to the wealthy, which is, of course, the fundamental purpose of all right-wing economic policy. One more thing in countering right-wing verbiage, and this is a favorite of Sean Hannity and seems to be spreading. Quote, committee officials disputed the notion that they were simply catering to powerful business interests seeking to benefit from loosening regulations that could wind up hurting investors. Quote, it's unfortunate to the extent that this has been politicized, close quote, said Robert Lighton. He's that former Justice Department official on the Paulson Committee that I quoted earlier. Every argument that criticizes a right-wing position is politicizing the issue. What an ugly word is this, politicizing. No one wants to be guilty of politicizing. If you criticize Bush administration Iraq policy, you're politicizing the war. Now if you criticize right-wing financial markets policy, 
You're politicizing that. If you encounter such an attack, you just have to maintain that your policy positions are not politicizing, whatever that means, anything. You're objecting to the harm that will come to people from specific right-wing policies. And that has nothing to do with politics, but with morality and basic human decency. Before I close, I want to mention that these right-wingers do plan certain things well, if not wars. They figured that in case the Democrats won one or both houses, legislation reversing post-Enron protections wouldn't be able to get through any such Democrat-controlled Chamber of Congress. So the committee's proposals, quote, are being tailored so that they could be adopted through rulemaking by the SEC and enforcement policy changes at the Justice Department, close quote. For example, eliminating the right of shareholders to file class action suits against corporations for fraud, the Rule 10b-5 right, would be eliminated by a mere vote of the SEC. Avoiding the legislative process, letting unelected activist bureaucrats thwart the will of the people. Don't right-wingers always accuse progressives of that? Of trying to achieve in the courts or through bureaucracy what they can't achieve at the ballot box? One of the leaders of the Paulson Committee openly admitted that most changes they want will be sought through regulation because, quote, the current political environment is simply not ripe for legislation, close quote. Not ripe for legislation. So let's get around it. Let's close by discussing the dishonest way the Bush administration is trying to make believe this is not an orchestrated effort. Quote, Jennifer Zuccarelli, a spokeswoman at the Treasury Department, said on Friday that no decision had been made about which recommendations would be supported by the administration. Mrs. Zuccarelli said, quote, While the department always wants to hear new ideas from academic and industry thought leaders, especially to encourage the strength of the U.S. capital markets, Treasury is not a member of these committees and is not collaborating on any findings. Close quote. Another Bushian liar. Or is that phrase redundant? Let's see. One of the committees is called by Washington insiders the Paulson Committee, named after Bush's Treasury Secretary, quote, but administration officials said Friday that he was not playing a role in the group's deliberations, close quote. Yet, quote, another official and committee members noted that Mr. Paulson had recently pressed the groups in private discussions to complete their work so it could be rolled out quickly after the November elections, close quote. And beyond that, quote, Committee members say that they expect many of their recommendations will be used as part of an overall administration effort to limit what they see as overzealous state prosecutions by such figures as the New York State Attorney General, Elliot Spitzer, and abusive class action lawsuits by investors. The groups will also attempt to lower what they see as the excessive costs associated with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, close quote. An overall administration effort, orchestrated as always. Lastly, note the timing of this. Just like Andrew Card said you don't roll out a new product, by which he meant the Iraq war, in August, the right-wingers here don't want to roll out a blatantly anti-people, pro-business fraud effort right before an election. Quote, People involved in the committee said that the timing of the proposals was being dictated by the political calendar, closely following Election Day and as far away as possible from the 2008 elections, close quote. I'll end with a little more from Ben Stein, who I'm actually amazed I'm quoting so much, but maybe he's seen the light. 
He notes that this is a time of all sorts of major corporate fraud, such as, quote, backdating of stock options, which is really just insider trading in a big, big way, undisclosed executive pay and gross-ups for paying taxes, stupendous looting in the form of going private transactions where management buys assets from stockholders at below market prices and becomes rich in the process, and many others. And there are straight-out accounting frauds in which major players actually go to the Gray Bar Hotel, his term for jail, along with people who did their thieving with guns instead of computers. Close quote. Then Stein asks a rhetorical question. Quote, Is it really right for prominent American executives, amid a host of scandals involving other executives looting their shareholders blind, to have the best and brightest of academe and the street lobbying for less accountability to shareholders? Close quote. So far, so good. But then Stein does fumble a bit, indicating a fundamental naivete about the Bushian right-wingers. Quote, it's fine for corporate bosses to be lobbying to keep themselves at the trough. That's what we expect of them. But Mr. Paulson is sworn to represent all of the people, not just the powers that be on Wall Street. He is way, way too high up the pay scale to be their lackey. Maybe it's time for him to back off this committee and start thinking of a legacy that includes law, integrity, and responsibility to more than just the chosen few of Wall Street and the corporate boardroom. Close quote. Law, integrity, and responsibility to more than just the chosen few of Wall Street in the corporate boardroom? Why does Stein think right-wingers seek power and get elected and appoint people like Paulson? To achieve the exact opposite of law, integrity, and responsibility to more than just the chosen few of Wall Street in the corporate boardroom. They seek power so they can ignore inconvenient laws and be responsible only to the chosen few of Wall Street and the corporate boardroom. That is, in essence, the right-wing way. Mad girlfriend doesn't call people names. She doesn't think that liberals are insane. Involving by her looks My girlfriend does not write hateful books But she can cook So I guess my girlfriend Is no end Coulter My girl has a soldier She got no chips on her shoulder And I thank God that she's no end Coulter there's no time for another full segment, but I did want to make a correction concerning last week's podcast. I said John Negroponte was now our ambassador to Iraq. No, he was ambassador to Iraq during the time period I was discussing, when the Salvador death squad option was being considered and then implemented in Iraq. Now, however, Negroponte has moved onward and upward. He was appointed by Bush to be the first director of national intelligence. Not a good sign that the guy who presided over death squads, first in Central America and then Iraq, is now in the head intelligence position domestically, is it? Well, hopefully, the oversight and subpoena powers that Democrats now have in Congress will prevent Negroponte and the other Bushians from even thinking about trying any death squad option here in the United States. 
Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. We're hanging in there at number nine on the all-important Podcast Alley Top Ten. If you haven't voted already, there's still plenty of time this month to go over there and do so. Now a word from another progressive podcaster. Good afternoon. I want to give you a report on the President's Day. The President this morning has spoken with three foreign leaders. He began with Prime Minister Blair. The two discussed the ongoing aspects of Operation Iraqi Liberation. Your government is lying to you every single day. Wake the Herd is a political program that takes a look at politics through an anti-hypocritical lens. Using hard-hitting news and commentary, as well as satire and music, Wake the Herd exposes partisan fear-mongering and challenges conservatives and liberals alike to open their eyes and see through the political jive. Turn off your television, tune in your brains, vote out the lies. Wake the Herd is on the air. Visit www.wakethehurt.com to spread the word and wake the herd. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber. The bumper music was My Girlfriend is No Ann Coulter by Lucky Man Clark. We'll close with the appropriately uplifting ending chorus of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Special thanks to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. Please keep all that great email coming in. Unfortunately, I've fallen even a little further behind in responding. I will get back to everyone. If you'd like to, you can call and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. I can also be reached on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. <laughs>